The scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us in this room. Help us to believe that you have arranged this moment. And you have something you want us to hear, something you want us to trust, something you want us to give our lives to, some word or phrase. Maybe some of us are looking for just one word, one phrase that might dispel what has become a dark world for us in whatever way it is dark. Some of us here are sleepy in our spirituality, and we ask that you would wake us up. Give us grace. Meet us here now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Brian Zahn writes in his new book, which I recommend, Postcards from Babylon. He says, if you had asked a follower of Jesus during the first century, what's your religion? So if you asked a follower of Jesus in the first century, what's your religion? She or he most likely would have replied, I belong to the way. I belong to the way. Not because it was the way to heaven, the afterlife was never the emphasis, but because they had come to believe that following Jesus was a new and true way to be human. Fascinating, isn't it? The early Christians were called the way. Not the belief, although there are things to believe, but the way. They understood their faith as something to be practiced. The emphasis was not on theological precision, but an embodied practice. I think this is important to hear because we can individualize and spiritualize following Jesus with no real challenge to our actual practice of the way of Jesus. So what's, that's what we're going to be looking at over Eastertide. I don't know if you know this, but the next six weeks is called Eastertide. That's got to be one of the coolest of all the seasons. Not only is it Easter, but Eastertide. I mean, come on. That's a great word. Eastertide. And so throughout Eastertide, the next six Sundays, we're going to be looking in the book of Acts at followers of the way. But today, the community of the way. But first, a little detour. Because I think it's important we address the last line of this reading today before we delve into the community of the way. It says there, day by day, people were being saved. And so it's important to ask, Saved from what exactly? Because some of you might be thinking saved from God. 
And I want to tell you something. Jesus did not come to save us from God, but to reveal God as loving Savior. So let's remember that. So what does it save from? Let's look back, not printed in your worship folder. My bad on that. Wish I would have printed it. A few verses earlier to the end of a sermon that Peter was giving in verse 40, he says this. And he testified, it says about Peter's sermon, and he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from God and his holy wrath that is coming on you? No, that's not what it says. I had you there for a second though, didn't I? Uh I know, that was good timing for a change. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That's what Peter says. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This gives us critical insight as to how these first Christians were thinking. That there's a system, there's a, a generation, a way things are arranged that they see themselves as being rescued from in the way of Jesus. That Jesus proposed an alternative way of arranging society. His term was to call it the kingdom of God, where the poor are cared for, where the outcast is brought in, And the powerful are no longer allowed to arrange society in a way that continually enriches their lives at the expense of everyone else. This got him killed. This got him crucified. Not just killed, crucified. Not just isolated, crucified. To install and and, and to push fear into everyone around, but dare propose an alternative way of arranging society as he had done. Publicly crucified. So when Peter says, save yourself from this corrupt generation, he's saying there is a way out of this system we are all caught up into. It's an invitation to the way of Jesus. A way that might get you killed. An invitation to live in a new way altogether. Thus their name, followers of the way. I think it's seven times in the book of Acts, I have to go back and count, where they're called followers or people of the way. So how did they move out into this new reality? And the simple answer for today's sermon is this, never alone. Never alone, always in community. These early Christians understood the movement called the way is inherently plural, never meant to go alone. And so they developed communities of learning, love, and liturgy. That's right, three L's, advanced sermon writing, alliteration. Learning, love, and liturgy. So first of all, they're a community of learning. It says there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what was an apostle? An apostle means to be a sent one, chosen by Jesus, taught by Jesus, eyewitnesses to his resurrection. Paul in Ephesians 2 will say that the church, he'll call it the household of God there, is built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So it's very important that we get an idea of what we mean when we say the word apostle. When the apostles died out, um, people didn't sit around and say, okay, 
now it's time for my take on all that we've been dealing with here. No, they had a foundation, the apostles' teaching. Although the Holy Spirit does continue to teach age to age, no question about it. Jesus told us she, the Spirit, would lead us into all truth. Jesus also said there are things he didn't teach because we were ready to hear them. But we do have a foundation laid in the apostles' teaching. And as I like to say, our foundation, our theological foundation, called here the apostles' teaching, whatever it may be called, our foundation is always meant to be a home, but not a prison. Because the Holy Spirit continues to lead the church. So these early Christians said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to base our life. We're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, how do we access that 2,000 years later? One of the greatest theologians of the 20th century was a man named Karl Barth. He talked about something called a threefold doctrine of Scripture. He would say something along the lines of this. Yes. There's the inerrant word of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. So first, there is the the word of the apostles is revealed in Jesus. If you're taking notes, this would be called maybe the innermost circle, the word of God incarnate. The word of God revealed. The word of God revealed in Jesus. The second circle, Bart would say, is the word of God written. So the word of God incarnate the Word of God written. This is what we have in Scripture, which we read through the lens of Jesus as Jesus taught us to do. And then the third circle outside of that is the Word of God proclaimed, that when the church gathers together and the Word is proclaimed and the sacraments are served, that we're placing ourselves right in the middle and the core of being devoted to the apostles' teaching. I know this is a little teachy, this point. It won't be all this way, but I want you to just have yourselves this rubric to remember. N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, he's another wonderful theologian. He said, the church is like the ship where the apostles' teaching is held and proclaimed and applied. The Spirit of God is like the wind that animates and gives it energy. And the Scripture's witness to Jesus is like the sails that give you direction. So, the application question is pretty simple. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? Are you right now engaged seriously enough in the apostles' teaching, in, for example, in your search process. Maybe you're here today, and you're trying to figure out whether you could ever believe all this Christianity stuff. And so what might it mean for you to more seriously engage in the apostles' teaching and understanding Christian faith and taking that into a more serious direction? Talk to a pastor about it. We're continually leading people through processes like this. Are you serious enough taking it in your own life? You're already, maybe you're already a Christian. You're already there. Are you gauged seriously enough to be actually directed right now in your life by the apostles' teaching? Here's another way of putting it. Are you taking advantage? I'm going to almost answer the question and say no. Not in entirety, because no church ever totally does. But I want to encourage you to see this as a challenge. Are you taking advantage of what this vehicle, this particular manifestation of Christ's body, the church, is putting out for you to more and more deepen your understanding and your devotion to the apostles' teaching? Classes that we offer, um, you know, ways in which we bring together uh, the Newbigin uh, Studies uh, Fellows Program, all the different ways in which this church, uh, groups that meet throughout the week, all the ways in which we seek to learn. Take advantage of all of these. 
This church has the phrase biblically grounded as one of its core values, and it's because of verses like this. We take the Bible seriously by engaging it with curiosity and honesty. For some, this is the only way that they could actually re-engage with scriptures to a church that will do this with honesty and curiosity. But our hope is that you will saturate yourself in this story to see how the Holy Spirit, with her relentless energy of providing the wind, might direct you in the way of Jesus. But my call to you right now is to intentionality around this, to be intentional, to be intentional. Secondly, so they saw themselves as communities of learning. Secondly, they saw themselves as communities of love. Look at the second part of verse 42. It says there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and they keep on going to verse 44. For all who believed were together and had all things in common. They'd sell their possessions and goods, distribute the proceeds to all as any had need, day by day as they spent time, much together in the temple, and so on. They had a rich communal life of love and mutual care and support for one another. This is a picture in many ways of a family. It's like the life of a family. Now, it's a beautiful picture. These verses give us a pristine picture of Christian community. I just have warning for you. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> the rest of the book of Acts and most of the epistles are going to show messy Christian community. Because that's the way families are. Because you're part of it. And because I'm part of it. And because human beings are part of it. The Bible never tries to hide any of the messiness of the early Christian communities. Every church is messy. So the book of Acts portrays communities who experience all sorts of pressure. There is the pressure of change. You can see this. The pressure of witness, the pressure of doing justice, the pressure of liking one teacher or preacher over another, the pressure of forgiveness, the pressure of theological disagreement, the pressure of gossip, the pressure of assuming the worst, the pressure of just being human in a world that is difficult and filled with suffering. It's all there in the book of Acts and in most of the epistles. Now, many of you got an email on Friday telling you that one of our beloved pastors feels called to a new chapter of ministry and will be leaving us, Pastor Julie Van Til. She is being faithful to her call to go wherever the Lord is leading and has the courage, frankly, to follow through on that. And we will miss her terribly. We will miss you terribly. And our board has been and will continue to care for and support her to follow God's call because she deserves it and has served us so well. And you know what? The book of Acts has that pressure in its community as well. We have episodes like, for example, the Apostle Paul leaving the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20 with tears, quote, it says, among them all as they say goodbye. That's a unique kind of pressure, a unique kind of pain for a church community, but it's not a new one. And so, come back next Sunday, and we're going to celebrate Julie well. 
But you know what families, not all families, because some of you I'll say, you know what families do? And then I'll say this, and you'll go, not my family. <laughs> they didn't do this. But a lot, a lot of times, families, and I'll just say the Harold family, you know, you, you tend to figure it out, the different challenges that you have. And usually one of the greatest ways to figure it out is by simply serving one another. I'm convinced that these early Christians got through all the stuck places and their communal life because there was a default drive of servanthood grounded grounded in something grounded in their mutual status as God's beloved children grounded in their seeing Christ always in the person sitting across from them may have had a disagreement about this or that may have spoken out of turn about this or that, may have disagreed about one decision or another, may have preferred Paul over Peter, but the way through for them was seeing Christ in the face of the person sitting across from them. When I do premarital counseling, I talk about the default drive of marriage being servanthood. And I would say the default drive in all good relationships in many ways. And I don't know what will, that will look like in each marriage or in each of your deep friendships. It has its own manifestations, but there are going to be times in your life when you just don't know what to do. And so, you choose to serve. And just see what kind of power is unleashed. I'm looking at some of you going, remember when we talked about this in premarital counseling? Sean and Courtney, do you remember this point? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird. You say, I tell people in premarital counseling, you look at all these people you've married in the congregation. It's like, okay, you remember this, I hope. Tell me the premarital counseling worked, something. You're listening. Um, so you choose to serve and see the power unleashed in these moments. And I'm not talking about being walked on. I'm not talking about not talking about the difficulties and, 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 and challenges of your relationship. I'm certainly not talking about putting up with one ounce of abuse. But I'm talking about an attitude of giving and not simply getting to see what begins to happen. I can't tell you how many times in 22 years of pastoring this church where I've talked with someone who felt disconnected. They say, I'm here each week. I don't feel like I know anyone. What should I do? And I normally say, well, I can tell you what I've seen work for people almost 100% of the time. And this, that's, is there a place where you can serve in some capacity? Hand out worship folders, stamp parking garage tickets, help with children's ministry, host a community group. And sometimes I hear, you know, I just really come and sit and enjoy the music and the teaching, etc. And I always respond with, well, lucky day. It's a new chapter for you and your experience at City Church. Because pow the power of community kicks in as we serve one another. Time after time, that has been the path of connection. Not always, but often. It's in the serving that the family connections are made, where love is experienced. Eugene Peterson says that the church is equal parts mystery and mess. I love that it's messy, but it's exactly where the mystery of Jesus shows up. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them with their mess. Or to quote Nadia Bowles-Weber, gather a small number of people once a week to simply share a meal and pray together. Talk about your lives and what's happening in the world. Be yourselves, extend grace, read the gospel, 
and repeat. Since ancient times, saints and sinners have called this mysteriously transformative experience church. See for yourself what happens. You might be surprised. I sure was. Okay, so a community of love, a community of learning. Lastly, and this is the one you've all been waiting on, a community of liturgy. Exciting, huh, Chris? Yeah, it's awesome. A community of liturgy. Listen, I say that because in verse 42 it says, again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And what the commentators will tell you with the insertion of this definite article and the way the structure of this has come about is they're talking about the breaking of bread and prayers. It's mysterious how they gathered that the upper room experience they had with Jesus on the night he was betrayed, that they got the idea that Jesus didn't want them to be spectators, but participants in the very drama he himself was about to undertake, and that shouldn't be a surprise, right? Because Jesus said this all the time. Take up your cross and following. My suffering and resurrection is not just for you to watch, but to actually share in. And so the meal that we gather around each week, you'll almost always hear one of the pastors say this, that in this meal there's something we're talking about in the past. They're remembering. There's something in the present. We believe in a resurrected Jesus who's showing up now in a way that's hard for us to articulate. And there's something in the future, that Jesus' resurrection is the breaking, the inbreaking of a new creation, and Jesus is bringing about a day when all will be made right. Liturgy literally means, you know what it means? The work of the people. The work of the people. And when these early Christians put this at the very heart of their communal life together, do you know what they were saying to one another? They were saying, we have work to do. We have work to do. We have new purpose in our lives. We too must take up our cross. We must follow him. We take care of one another. We seek to take care of as many people as we can, actually. This is why the early historians actually said about Christians in the first century, they said they take care of not only of their own poor, but ours as well. You could see that in the scripture reading where it says there that they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. This reminds me of the, one of the earliest slogans of City Church when there were 10 of us sitting around in, a, in my living room one night, which is, let's be a church that's good news for all of San Francisco. So around the holy meal and the gathering together, they would re-narrate their lives with a new script. Each one of you have walked into this room today with a script. What's on that script? It's a script that you're living by right now. It's a script of status, a script of achievement. Maybe it's a script of proving yourself. Maybe it's a script of shame or guilt. Maybe it's a script of fear or anger. Maybe it's a script of simply maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. A script of denial. A script of resentment. We all have these scripts 
and gathering each week around the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread and the prayers with Jesus in our midst is a weekly laying down of the scripts that are exhausting us and killing our souls and picking up the script of the story of God and saying, this is the God who pursues me and loves me in Jesus Christ. I am the beloved child of God. That is my true script. And I have to gather weekly. I have to get around all of these means of grace and each other and be told to remember this and re-narrate my lives because I am so hijacked by what Peter called a corrupt generation. No, there's a new script, a true script that has the potential of blowing new oxygen into my soul, a new script altogether, a script of cross and resurrection and of new creation. So I remember, I'll stop with this, I remember a TED Talk from a few years ago featuring uh, Elon Musk. It was actually being interviewed in this talk. And uh, Elon Musk, he's talking about many ideas he has about creating everything from flying cars to rockets to, you know, everything. Um, it's like an unending uh, imagination of things to be created. And at the very end of the talk, he was asked something. He was asked, what's your motivation? And this is what I found so fascinating, his response to that question. He said, I'm not trying to be anyone's savior I'm just trying to think about the future and not be sad. Isn't that fascinating? I'm just trying to think about the future and not be sad. I think we're all doing that. Because flying cars and gazillions of dollars doesn't address that. But resurrection does. Resurrection invites you to live with a vision of the future right now in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of sadness or loss or transition, so that you now might get engaged in liturgy, the work of the people. Because San Francisco needs every one of you together, all of us, to continually invite, to continually introduce a new way of being in this world that doesn't leave us frantically trying to make something to avoid thinking that the future will only be sad. The future will be life. The future will be resurrection. It already is. And if you can hear the voices of the flesh and blood that are gathering around in this early Christian community, if you can hear them through 2,000 years, they're inviting you. They're saying, jump in. There's work to be done. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to respond in whatever ways we need to respond. as we think about what it means to be followers of 
the way of Jesus. What does that require of us today? What does that require of us in our families? What does that require us require of us in our relationships? What does that require of us in how we allocate our own resources? Be with us this Eastertide season that it might be a season of renewal and rededication, re-understanding, to live in more authentically and fully the way of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.